Welcome, fellow thinkers and movie buffs, to the study part. I'm Zach. And I'm Andrew. Together we're here to ignite your intellectual curiosity and delve into the fascinating world of film, current events, and thought-provoking topics. That's right, Andrew. Our mission at The Study Pipe is to create a stimulating haven for film enthusiasts and curious minds alike, offering in-depth analysis, engaging conversations, and a warm sense of camaraderie. We specialize in unearthing the hidden gems of cinema, exploring the artistry and complexities behind your favorite movies. Our passionate discussions go beyond the surface, examining themes, symbolism, and the intricacies of filmmaking. But we don't stop there. We also venture into the realm of current events and other intellectually stimulating subjects, providing fresh perspectives and insights that will challenge your mind and spark lively debates. By joining the Study Pipe community, you're not just subscribing to another channel. You're becoming part of a vibrant tribe of like-minded individuals who share a love for film, a thirst for knowledge, and an appreciation for meaningful discourse. So come, pull up a chair, light up your metaphorical study pipe, and let us embark on this captivating journey of discovery together. Don't forget to subscribe now and become part of the Study Pipe experience. We can't wait to have you join our conversations. Awesome. All right. So what are we talking about today, Andrew? Today we're talking about Bo is Afraid, Ari Aster's new film. It just came out, I believe that would be Friday, April 21st. It is a wild movie. We have both already seen it. Yes, I cannot say it enough. This movie is wild. Wild to say the least. (laughs) And Bo (laughs) is very afraid from what I gathered. (laughs) <laughs> oh, man. That, that is, the entire movie is it's like watching a guilt trip on acid. Not that I've ever done that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like supposed to simulate in the viewer a manic episode. At least that's what I took from it. You know, I felt very, very manic when I was in there watching it. it it's, it's almost like uh, having a three-hour panic attack. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, and you know, so Ari Aster is the director. He did Hereditary, he did Midsummer, which you know I'm a big horror fan. I love both those films. Um, this, I don't think Bo is Afraid is a horror movie. I don't know if advertising and, and whatnot is kind of billing it as that. I thought it was more of a very dark comedy. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it's suspenseful and all that, but. You know, I, I would say it is a departure from his previous two films. Oh, hundred uh, percent. There's horror elements, but this is a comedy through and through. And for anyone that's not familiar, uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, this movie stars Joaquin Phoenix. It's a about a guy who, without spoiling anything, is very dependent on his mother, and he goes on this odyssey to return home. And so you're almost taken through like, ah, there's not really a good way to explain it without spoiling anything, but just a big journey of anxiety. It really is a, I think an odyssey, right? With, with this idea of, 
you know, he's, he's starting from one place at the beginning of the film and he needs to get to his mother, you know, to put it very vaguely, <laughs> he needs to get to his mother and there's obstacle after obstacle, you know, before him, I mean, preventing him from getting there, you know, in, in a, a timely manner. But, um, you know, I think kind of the, the hype around this right now, one of the things that really stood out to me is, you know, this comment uh, from Martin Scorsese kind of praising Astor as being one of the leading voices right now in cinema and being bold and, you know, courageous. Um, yeah, I think he he compared it, the film, and I don't know if it was a direct comparison from the clip I saw, but, you know, it was this, he brought up Barry Lyndon and, and really like, there are films that will d- divide people. They're divisive and, you know, people may come out initially and think, you know, Oh, that's terrible or I don't get it or I'm not about it. But, you know, many years later they're back rewatching it, loving it. And I can see this film kind of doing the same thing for sure. Uh, it, it definitely. I think uh, the number one thing I heard pe- from people leaving the theater now that I've seen it twice was this was an experience. They didn't necessarily always mean that in a good way. I personally, I love the movie. I'd give it a 10 out of 10. It's it's early into 2023, but it's my favorite movie of the year. It's the most inventive movie I've seen in years. I think that's easy to say. Uh, just the world building, the character development, how they, just how the movie gets into your head and makes you feel everything that Bo is feeling. But there's going to be a large portion of the, the population that sees this movie that's going to feel very uncomfortable. And their first thought is not going to be that they like this movie. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. <laughs> um, especially, I mean, if, if you go and you take a peek at the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, user reviews, I think that's already starting to sprinkle <laughs> a little bit, but, you know, I wanted to ask you before, you know, we kind of really share, how this film impacted us um, is what would you do? I mean, if Scorsese was praising you like that, I mean, to me, Scorsese is one of the the best directors of all time, you know, obviously. And to, to sit there three films deep on my resume and to get that praise, I would be, I'd be freaking out, man. I don't know how you, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you gotta be graceful, but that, that, has, uh, that, would, that means something. I wouldn't be graceful. That'd be at the top of my, my resume. <laughs> be Scorsese endorsed. Yeah. You go and you pitch any new film and say, look, love this Instagram reel of Martin Scorsese telling me that I'm a defining voice in cinema right now. now give me $40 I, million dollars for this film. But who yeah, knows? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe, I'm the, the, maybe I'm the definitive voice now. You know, I'd be at every coffee shop, just be like, "Did you hear what Scorsese said about me?" <laughs> I wouldn't. You should know who I, I mean, you should know who I am. <laughs> I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be like, "Goodfellas, man, he made Goodfellas." You understand? Yeah. You understand yeah. what I'm talking about? I'm a made man yeah, now. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I don't know though. I mean, I. I think there are going to be a lot of people who kind of knocked the film, but also I'm kind of curious if, 
you know, his the, the first two, I think Hereditary was like $9 million to make. And then Midsommar was like 10. I mean, they were both close to 10 million. And Bo is afraid coming in at like 35 million, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm kind of worried that, you know, if it's not a box office hit, which it doesn't seem like it's going to be, um, he might not get that budget again. I mean, I think he's talented enough to tell these kinds of stories with a smaller budget, but you know, it, it kind of, to me, because I love the, the movie so much, I want this kind of budget for these kinds of projects to be a thing, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what's so hard about films nowadays. Like 10 years ago, we could say, all right, this movie made $4 million since opening weekend, a $35 million budget. It's going to lose money, but we have no idea what the equation is going to be when it goes to video on demand or when it goes to streaming services, like how, the the return on investments going to be viewed. Yeah, that I mean that is a good point. I'm for sure going to buy this and watch it multiple times. You know, at home, stream it. I mean, I, I hope that it develops that word of mouth kind of cult following. If if the box office isn't there, but um, yeah, man, it, it, I mean, it's wild. It's a wild trip. I. I uh, felt like I was losing my you know mind watching. It. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. that's the best way. I felt like I was going insane. Uh, both I saw it, the second time I saw it, I felt like I was going even more insane. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I've been here, I've been on this ride before. I know all the twists and turns. No, the second time it was just as insane as the first. And I think it it is insane like that, or, or it, it doesn't lose its sense of manic, you know atmosphere because there's so much happening kind of in the background. There's so much detail that Astor's sprinkled throughout the world he's built because, you know, the, the world that Bo exists in, in this film is not, you know, our world. At least that's not my takeaway from the film. I thought it was this world where, you know, everything is really turned up like the saturation is turned up. All the dials are maxed out to 10. It's hyper, you know, uh, violent and, and insane. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like if you, if, if you looked at the news, you know, the news cycle in America, it's always like, you know, negative shootings and, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff going on to me, the world that Bo exists in is like, if the news, the way the news portrayed, you know, our world was the actual real world. I mean, day in, day oh. out, like that is what you're getting. You're getting, you know, crazy crime in the streets. And, you know, it's not just a one-off that's being amplified by news media. It is the world he exists in. Oh, hundred percent. It's like if Fox news was talking about Chicago and like, yeah, <laughs> it was really high. <laughs> that's, that's how they describe Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, oh, man. that is his world. So, um, are we avoiding spoilers here? Are we getting into spoilers? No, I, th- I think we can do spoilers, but let's uh, let's give everyone a chance here who hasn't seen the movie. Uh, we're gonna be talking about spoilers from here on out. So maybe this fast is, forward is, about about another ten minutes, and 
you'll be past the spoiler part because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unearth with this movie, and it, it's like talking about this movie is like playing Minecraft or not Minecraft, like the Minesweeper game, where you can't really discuss the film itself without heavy spoilers because the entire film is almost a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's an accurate way of uh, summarizing the film. So, yeah, if, if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead or end now. Um, I guess the to to conclude the spoiler-free discussion, your review, Andrew, you said 10 out of 10. Anything else to add before we dive in? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> when, when I think back to, like, like, a good review, I think back to, like, what Roger Ebert would say, which is, the people that are listening to this, like, would you recommend it to them? And I love this movie. I love balls to the wall movies. I love things that are surprising or shocking, the things that make me uncomfortable. So if you like all those things, if you like things that, if you like to spend three hours and where you don't know what's going on, you don't know what's going to happen next. And literally anything can happen. It can be good. It can be bad. Then this movie's for you. But if that makes you very uncomfortable and anxious, it's not a good experience. Then don't see this movie or at least, just be ready for that. Yeah, and I, I'd build on that by saying, you know, I loved it. 10 out of 10. I like when a movie is bold and it is willing to do things that are not mainstream to really challenge the viewer. Um, to really think about, like, what what can a film be? What can what kind of typical, you know, storyline be other than, you know, the movies we see, these blockbuster box office films, you know, the Marvel films, all these cookie cutter kind of machine films that are being manufactured and, and churned out. This is a movie that is not that it, it directly challenges your understanding of the world that you know, the characters live in your understanding of what is even going on. What is the point and purpose of the, the, the things that are happening? And, you know, even kind of challenging whether the things you're seeing on the screen are, are really happening because the behaviors exhibited by the characters are so, they run contrary to like normal human interaction. So to me, all of that is very fascinating. And what I found really surprising about this film is that it is really funny and it's, it's dark humor, but, you know, I've seen it twice like Andrew and in both showings in you know seemingly very dark moments of the film the audience is laughing you know the whole theater is really like roaring with laughter and you know i think astor did a really good job of kind of putting presenting the audience with something that's really dark and finding humor and just like the absurdity of it and it was kind of refreshing to laugh at just absurd things happening in that way. So if that all sounds interesting to you, definitely check it out. All right. Now on to the meat and potatoes, the spoilers. <laughs> and are there well many? Said, though. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, that was well said because uh, it, it's a very funny movie. And I'm excited that we can talk now about the things that we found really fucking funny because it was very funny movie. Yeah, it's hilarious. The, the whole beginning, you know, opens with, you know, Bo is in this session with his therapist. He has some anxiety or what appears to be anxiety, you know, about visiting his mother. 
uh, he has to to go and see her on the anniversary of his father's death. And, you know, very early on, I mean, right there in the opening scene, his therapist floats, you know, this, this idea plants this idea in his mind of like, wouldn't things be easier if, if she were dead, you know? And, you know, he's kind of like, no, no, I, why would I think that? And then very rapidly that happens, you know, his mother dies and he's dealing <laughs> oh, yeah, with, does she, yeah. <laughs> what's that? She said, so does she die? She has a chandelier dropped on her head. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah. Uh, a big chandelier. Um, although they don't show the chandelier, do they? They only show no, like, they, where it was hooked. Yeah, they, they eventually show where where it was hooked and where it was dropped. But when, the way Bo finds out is Bo is very dependent on his mother. And the reason he's going to this this therapist to say he's got this very dark and distorted relationship with his mom, who you might say she's like a narcissist, and. Uh, so he's trying to get his head, you know, sorted out and sees his therapist and they are mostly just focused on his relationship with his mother and this impending trip that he's going to go trip, see, go to see her. And so he leaves the therapist and you find out that the next day he's supposed to go see his mom for the anniversary of his dad's death, like you said. And as he, you know, the, the night before he's supposed to go on this trip, you know, you have a bunch of more weird stuff that's just happening in this world. He lives in this rundown apartment, and his next door neighbor keeps coming by and leaving notes in the middle of the night underneath his door saying, Turn down the music. And Bo's not playing any music. And it, the guy just keeps coming back, progressively more and more irritated, banging on the door. And eventually, the guy gets so upset, he just starts blasting techno, the loudest he could possibly like blast music. And Bo's just sitting there, just taking it, laying in bed just trying to let the night pass by so he can go see his mom the next day, this trip that he's dreading to take. And because the music's so loud and because he can't sleep, he ends up finally falling asleep, but then waking up an hour before his flight's supposed to take. And from here on out is three hours of anxiety, I would say. Yeah, just straight, you know, dialed up 10 out of 10 anxiety. You know, even kind of in the beginning as it's leading up to that, as you said, he lives in this world that is crazy. You know, he's basically lives in Skid Row. They don't say where the, the film takes place. It looks like, um, actually, no, I, th- I think it is in California because I remember seeing a clip of um, his ticket to go visit his mom. I thought he was leaving California or going somewhere in California, but it's essentially Skid Row, but dialed up to to a 10. I mean, there are people dead in the street in front of his home. There are people being violent, you know, attacking each other right in front of him. And he's trying to navigate very early on this crazy world and keep himself safe. And, you know, immediately something that I thought was hilarious and and I loved is that, you know, he (laughs) leaves his apartment to go get water for this medicine (laughs) that he has to drink water with. And, all of the people off the street invade his home and destroy his home. You know, <laughs> this is all before he finds out um, about his mom and tries to leave to go see her. But, you know, it is just insanity. It's like madness that this is occurring. And, you know, he loses uh, his keys. He can't get into his home because uh, all these people are in it. He has to wait out the night outside and he goes back into his home and, 
you know, it's utterly destroyed and he's trying to figure out, you know, how to get to see his mom. And, you know, then he calls her and the news is broke by some UPS driver that found her. <laughs> and um, <laughs> great cameo by Belander. Yeah. Great cameo. I love that. You know, he's when they do show him later in the film, they're doing a TV interview and you only see kind of from the back. He doesn't want to be filmed, you know, and yeah. it's like, but you can tell it's him and it's hilarious. And, and what was cool about that cameo that I noticed is that it's not him on the phone. So when Bo talks to him earlier in the film, you know, he's trying to call his mother to get a hold of her, but the, this UPS driver picks up the phone and says, you know, who is this? And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And he said, I walked in, I found this body. She doesn't have a head. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's not that whoever is on the phone. That's not Bill Hader's voice. No, right? definitely not. <laughs> that's definitely not Bill Hader. Yeah. If it is it, it's I mean, great voice acting, it sounded nothing like him. Yeah. And it just is a huge payoff when you do see him later. <laughs> he's back. He's like, I just found the body. <laughs> Yeah, I just found it. I just found it. Dogs are barking. Um, but yeah, I mean, then, you know, I think really what kind of moves the story forward is, you know, he's, he, Bo is setting out to go see his mother. He finds out that she dies and is devastated and um, gets hit by a car, you know, when he's outside by this, this <laughs> couple who basically kidnap him and want to make him their new son. You know, at least that was my take. They had lost yeah, their sure. son in the war. And they want and, a surrogate um, son. Yeah. Surrogate son. And he's like on house arrest and is playing family. You know, he's a grown, he's what, 50, 50 years old, 40 something. He's oh, late forties. He's a grown man. And, they, and yeah. the, the kicker is that they already have a daughter that's alive, doing just fine, <laughs> that they are pretty much just ignoring the entire time that he's there. If the yeah, only interaction is to yell at her. <laughs> very dismissive, you know, the whole thing. And he's like in her room, which is like a typical teenager's room. There's boy band posters and all this stuff all over the walls. And it's funny because, you know, he's this grown man sleeping in her bed and shouldn't be there, you know, and. <laughs> It's just, it is very cookie cutter, clean family stuff, but what is going on is not that. And it's very eerie, but funny. Um, and then there's the, you know, the soldier that they're also kind of nursing or taking care of, you know, under yeah, their wing. Part, part of their, uh, that, the, the son's platoon. Yeah. So the son, you know, died and then his friend in the war, I guess they're taking care of once he returned home and he has PTSD and, He's running around in the background of, you know, all of this, doing crazy stuff and even getting to a point where he's like kind of threatening Bo silently, you know? Yeah, this is like the most horror aspect of the movie, too, is like this yeah. part of the film because you're yeah. every night Bo goes to sleep and the daughter is upset that she's watching Bo replace her brother and she goes out and talks to the you know, to the PTSD soldier kind of bangs on this guy's room and, and Bo can see through the window that she's just pointing eerily at, at Bo and telling this guy something that's not good. Not good at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it just escalates slowly. It's like a pressure cooker of him being in this house with these strangers who 
are way over the top nice, but are also like not giving him his autonomy. You know, he's injured. He got hit by them. They were driving a fan. He's damaged. Um, he also got stabbed, which I, I don't know that we want to spoil how he got stabbed because that was one of the funniest <laughs> yeah. parts of the movie. Yeah, yeah, we won't, we won't spoil how he got stabbed. We probably, we probably shouldn't spoil why he leaves the house, just that he does. Yeah, yeah, I agree because that was also a very dark but funny moment in the film. <laughs> just, just, just wild, just wild, very wild. <laughs> um, but he is propelled out of the home with that family. And just say, I guess, the least, they no longer love him or want to care for yeah. him. And <laughs> he runs off in, into the forest and is being pursued by this former soldier that was his adopted brother. <laughs> he, he's the adopted brother, I guess, um, yeah. his fellow platoon member. But, I mean, it leads to one of the most interesting and bold, I think, parts of the film uh, on Astro's part is you know, he, he flees, he ends up in this forest and he meets a traveling band of like thespians who put on plays all around the country in forest for people. And, um, you know, he meets this, this troupe of, of actors and it leads to him watching a, a play and then cutting into him being a part of the play and it's this whole you know 20 something minute sequence where you're taken out of the main plot of the the movie and you're following Bo through this like epic life um that he thinks he has had you know he he has a, a wife and has kids and it's very trippy the visuals are awesome um that's probably where a good portion of the budget went was on that sequence because oh, yeah. It was awesome. Super cool. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, I love that he did that. I mean, I, I could see people maybe complaining that, you know, what was the point or the purpose, but I, I thought it was great because I thought it kind of spoke to the life that Bo wish he had, but also being true <coughs> to kind of the nature of his bad luck. Exactly. It's, it's almost like a fantasy of the life that he wishes he had and a metaphor for the life that he's currently living mixed together. It was my favorite part of the movie. I mean, like he said, he shows up in this to the woods and gets rescued by this band of actors. It's almost like uh, that TV show on HBO station 11 where you're like, what the hell? It's just this almost like they're in a post-apocalyptic world. These people form together to tell plays across the forest. And then he, you know, he's watching this play and the story is very similar to his journey and it just transports him into this trippy 20, 30 minute sequence of this new life that he's imagined that he lives and he becomes an old man alone and he has kids that he can't have because, you know, as you find out in the sequence, you know, through a flashback that he was conceived by his father, the same moment that he died, he had a heart attack, this heart condition that's passed down from generation to generation through men. And so it, it's this dual situation of Bo imagining this life of having kids and 
be able to live off the land and then also having to come to terms with his reality that he can never have kids, he can never have sex. Yeah, and I, I think not, it yeah. yeah, I think it is at a point in the story too, which because I mean at this point in the story, there there are hints throughout the film up to this point, but you really don't know what's going on. I mean you kind of have an idea, you know, his mother has died. He's trying to get back to her, but you don't really understand why Bo is the way he is, why he has the anxiety that he has. You kind of have been given hints throughout, but I think what this sequence of the film does really well is it starts to feed you like a coherent narrative of like what it could be. Cause it's some, it's like, filled with half truths what's going on you know within this like sequence um at least for me when i watched it the first time and the second time it made me think like oh this could be what the story is actually about or like this is what's really going on with him and and where it could go um not all the way not completely because there are certainly things that happen within the play that don't reflect what's going on with the main plot but it started to tie things together for me and make me think, okay, you know, how's this thing going to close out? Cause at that point, you know, you're probably already like two hours into the three hour film and not really sure where it's going. Exactly. Yeah. It, it does a great job of showing into this fantasy and then also filling you in and showing you what's really going on with Bo, why Bo's afraid. And it, you know, I'm going to come out and say it like it, he has no idea that he's being hunted by this PTSD guy and the play tells him. Yeah, that's true. There's a whole sequence about like <laughs> the watchdog. This, yeah. This force <laughs> is going to be after you and you'll have a sense that it, it's there. It's in the background and it even kind of speaks to the general anxiety, you know, that follows him around through the whole film. Um, but yeah, very well done. I mean, after he kind of like snaps back to reality from the sequence of, of thinking he's been in this play, uh, it all goes belly up, you know, the, <laughs> the, yeah. the guy yeah, I mean. who's been hunting him, <laughs> the PTSD soldier just crashes the party and starts shooting everyone up, killing people. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's incredible. It's insane. Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hesitant to even go further than this in the spoilers just because I feel like the payoff in the third act is so big. I agree. I, I, I was going to say, I, I think that's, that's, that's right. Maybe there, there's a future episode where there's a full, like, you know, uh, description, discussion, dissection, if you will, of the whole story and, and what it means. But yeah, man. That after that, when you get into that last, I would say probably that's probably the third act um, after the play. It really, I mean, it 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 gets crazy. You there's a couple of twists and turns that you weren't expecting. There's some characters that make an appearance that kind of close some threads, and then you find out the nature of really what's been going on, even though. <laughs> maybe the answers and 
and you know the the reveal don't make sense in in our world but they do make sense in, in the world that Bo exists within um you get you get closure i mean I, it's a film that i think you know when i talk to other people who've seen it that didn't really like it or didn't understand it i think they didn't feel like they received closure but me i did i i think that by the end of it i understood you know at least that like face value surface you know level like i understand why it ended the way it ended and and what that means for the overall characters yeah i would i would say there's definitely closure for me i get i can see i can definitely see why people would think it didn't but to me this is cut from the same cloth that you saw a lot of like 1940s books on like absurdity and existentialism are cut from and the closure comes from like whether or not Bo can finally find autonomy and I'm not going to get into any spoilers on that but the entire movie is about whether or not Bo can make decisions or whether or not he's going to be controlled by this outside force yeah and I think after the first time we both had watched and you know we both called each other because it's so absurd. It's <laughs> yeah. so crazy. It, it, you immediately need to discuss it. I think even if you hate it, you need to discuss it because it's, it's just so different than, you know, the, the current crop of films that are coming out. But, you know, you had said something about that autonomy that I didn't really realize until the second showing that, you know, for a split second right there at the end, um, I think it it is apparent that, you know, Bo did get his autonomy. He, there, there was a decision that he finally made. I mean, the whole film, he's hesitant to make a decision. He's, he's looking to others to act for him. And um, at the end, I, I think he does. It may be subtle, but I think he does take action. And it's it closes the loop for me. And, and I think that's what I meant when you know it ends that i felt like i knew where the characters were at why they were there and and why things happened the way they did exactly the loop was closed and man i asked her oh you gotta <laughs> yeah. give it to him this guy oh, yeah. is i mean he's wild man he's out there he, making movies that i'm you know, excited I, whatever he does next i'm excited Oh yeah, I like. I mean, after Hereditary, I was like, I'll I'll see all of his movies because you know you know me. I'm I love horror. Yeah. I thought Hereditary was like wonderfully done for like a psychological horror, and you know oh, that, that movie was so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and thank you because I think what he did well in that movie was just forcing you to be uncomfortable rather than relying on like jump scares and stuff like that, which are cheap and easy with horror movies. But it was, you know, let me put something on the screen here and present real hard, difficult situations and realities and and imagery that really gets into your head and forces you to sit there. So, and, you know, sit there and be present with it. You can't really run off and, you know, extended, shots on certain things that are disturbing like all of that i thought was great so you know after that i was a lifelong customer you know of, oh, of yeah. a, a fan 
But I think it's just, it's kind of, you know, he's three films in the first two were relatively safe in terms of like the business of movie making. Right. He did a great job with hereditary. It made money. He stuck to horror, did the folk kind of, you know, horror. Yeah. The wicker man. Second. Yeah. And you know, that made even, even uh, more money did great. They they made the, both of them made great money. And you would think like, okay, you know, third entry, stick to the formula. Let me do something that, you know, is within the horror space or, or what I'm kind of known for and make some more money. But it like he had the balls to just say, you know what, you're going to give me the money and, you know, you've seen what I've done with two films. I'm going to make the movie I want to make and I'm going to make it uh, absurd and crazy and ambitious and large and, and wild and you know, I I need more movies like this. I need people who are willing to challenge the status quo, who are willing to like go out there and explore kind of pockets and corners of film and storytelling that don't get enough light, that don't get enough time in front of audiences. Oh yeah, yeah. I I don't think uh, like it or hate it, or it's your favorite movie ever. You. I think everyone that left that movie doesn't have a large list of movies that are similar. No. Like no one's like, no, oh, I, I saw that before this. Yeah. And I think because of that, you have to respect it. Even if you don't like it, I feel like you have to respect that there's, you know, a professional, a person, he's working a job, he's doing a job, he's a director, a writer, um, who had the courage to like, do what he wanted to do. And, you know, they, some people are saying he may not get the budget again and, you know, he may not be able to make a film like this again. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I respect that. Like you made something that wasn't safe. You made something that might not have mass appeal and that a lot of people might not understand, but you stayed true to what you wanted to do, which is create something that was absolutely wild. And, you know, I obviously can't speak for the guy, but, you know, my take was that he made something that was true to him and, and, and he had, had the courage to go out there and do it, to swing big, you know, swing for the fences. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Even if he, uh, you never see a movie with him with that big of a budget again, he made the movie he wanted to make. I don't think anyone can say that he didn't. Yeah, and I, I don't know how many directors get to actually even do that, you know, make the movies they want to make. I feel so much um, a film nowadays is, like, safe. It's, like, it's this business case by the studios of, you know, what's going to make money, what's going to, you know, appeal to the most amount of people, what's politically correct and, you know, is a sure thing. And you need people who are taking chances because they push the boundaries of what people, you know, after them are willing to do or be inspired by. So you need movies like this. Even, I mean, obviously it's business. Everyone needs to make money. Everyone needs to be able to, you know, pay their bills. But I think for the overall industry, a film like this is good. Even if A24 loses out, they don't make their money back. They're taking one for the team, <laughs> you know, as far as <laughs> yeah. I know. I see it. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I, 
you know, not to get too into it, but, you know, you and I both got to see a small part of this just with our first jobs in college where we were doing, you know, we were getting uh, market reactions for movie trailers that hadn't been released yet. And just saw how much everything gets pushed towards a, like, uh, a common denominator almost where the, you know, the studio spent a lot of money trying to research what makes everyone the most happy. It's amazing that something like this can even get made. Yeah, everything now is just like focus group driven, you know, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, I love mainstream blockbusters and they're fun, popular flicks, but, you know, there, there needs to be a certain percentage of films released every year, you know, that aren't just the typical safe business case, but are, are exploratory, you know, R and D films, if you will, that are are out there doing the work, taking the risks, the, 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 you know, having the courage to, to really find out what do people like? I mean, this, this movie was a dark comedy and I like dark comedies, but I didn't really know that I could laugh at such, dark things that happened in this movie, you know, and, and, you know, when I was starting to laugh, I kind of, Ooh, you know, am I, am I bad for laughing? <laughs> I, you, know, you maybe but feel you a little guilty, but the, yeah, you look around, but the whole theater is laughing. And then you realize <laughs> like, there's something innate, something primal, you know, this on the human level amongst all of us where we're all laughing and maybe it's you're laughing in the face of absurdity because it really is absurd. And, and, you know, and maybe that's the only thing you can do when things are so dark and so absurd (laughs) is to laugh, to, to get some sort of relief. But I, I think he was tapping into, you know, a part of our humor that we all share because, um, you know, it wasn't just a couple chuckles in the theater. I mean, it was the whole theater was laughing at some really? of these really. Yeah, at least half of it, half the theater. I, there was a, definitely a portion that was just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. They were not laughing at anything. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they, were, they were still processing. They couldn't catch up to the laughter for sure. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it. it I think that that that's cool that it's it's a movie he's doing something where you're really kind of reaching people in in a way that other films aren't without you know getting into in, into any huge spoilers on the, no, on the yeah, dark yeah. funny stuff. I think that's a that's a perfect wrap up of how I see the movie is you know just what we've been talking about is it it was a great exploration of absurdity a little bit of mental illness, relationships, and just all tied together with this really on-point dark humor. Oh, and, and one other thing, too. Um, Mariah Carey. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mariah Carey. Yeah. yeah. That was legit. Um, Let me restart that real quick. <laughs> not going to spoil, but Mariah Carey, that, that was great. That was great. That, yeah, the whole thing was great. <laughs> I remember seeing on social media right around the premiere, uh, 
Ari Aster posing with Mariah Carey in a photo and everyone in the comments was like, what? That's random. Why is Mariah Carey there? You know, like <laughs> she a big horror, like suspense thriller fan. Like she loved his other movies and, you know, everyone was kind of like, what? And then <laughs> when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, that's why she's there. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say anything because I'll just spoil it. If you're a Mariah Carey fan, see this movie. <laughs> yes. If, if nothing, if you learn nothing else from this, if you like Mariah Carey, you can just immediately go buy that ticket. Yep. Amen. So I guess that kind of concludes Bo is Afraid, but yeah, I guess one last question I have for you is what do you think's next for for him? You know, do you think he's gonna stick with like horror, like go back to that? Do you think I mean, I guess it all depends on what the box office says, but yeah, yeah I feel I feel I can see him feeling like he's he needs to make a surefire hit so that way he can get some more leverage for future movies. Uh, I mean, this movie did not do well. It's hard to imagine that word of mouth with how uncomfortable it makes about half the audience. It's going to really propel it past that 35 million, but I hope it does. I I would have to bet that he goes back to horror just to, just to groove one out and get the numbers up. Really? That's a bold prediction. Going back to horror. I kind of, I wonder, I, I was thinking, especially with the Scorsese endorsement, I was thinking, you know, what if he leverages, yeah, maybe a 24 says, uh, we don't want to give you more money. That didn't do as well as we thought it would, but maybe he has more clout now and he can get another studio interested in working with him and, and giving him a budget to, you know, explore something else. I mean, it would be crazy if he just, you know, flipped genres. Like he got out of, you know, horror, the suspense, comedy, dark comedy that is Bo is afraid. But, you know, what if he went into like some crazy period piece or something or, like or, or sci-fi? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sci-fi. That'd be. That'd be cool. The thing is, he knows how to compose a shot, beautiful shots, beautiful cinematography. Um, the teams he's working with, I mean, his films look great. They look excellent. And I think he's a master of of creating an atmosphere and ambiance with his films. Um, so I, I think he could really make any, he could make a good film in any genre and yeah, I think he has the talent to do that. And that's probably why Scorsese's given him so much praise. But man, it, it would be kind of wild to see him go and do, you know, like, I don't know, a story that's, you know, maybe fiction, but like most of it's nonfiction and historical or just something epic, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I guess it depends because he made this $35 million movie look like a $100 million movie. So, yeah. oh, excuse me. So I, I mean, really, like he, I can imagine that he can go any direction with a twenty million dollar budget and make something just fantastic that also might have a little bit more mainstream appeal if that's what he wants to do. He, it, you know, if this movie gets a lot of award recognition, it might not matter 
what it does at the box office. That might be enough for, you know, to kind of get the, that prestige endorsement. Like you're saying with the Scorsese, you know, with Scorsese liking him as a director, that might be enough to, to kind of give, get him another shot or, you know, it's, it's hard to say because the marketing for this movie didn't really do a great job of showing what the movie was. Yeah, I agree with that. It, I don't think it did. Not not even. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you would really show it, but like the the trailer is absurd, but it's a different tone. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, I can't even re- now that I've seen it twice. I can't even remember the impression I had from the the trailers before, but I just remember. You know, as I watched watched the film, I was like, "This is a lot different than I thought it was going to be." <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like comedy, fantasy, you know, anxiety, little horror. Maybe I mean, I I don't really think the things that happen are horror. I think they're more just like thriller esque, you know. But it, I don't know. I mean. Frankly, I don't even know how you market this film because it's so <laughs> yeah. wild. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, he almost seems like a director that might be built for the streaming platform where you don't need to get people to go pay to see it, but to build through word, word of mouth. Well, it's funny you say that because that's kind of where Scorsese's at nowadays, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's making you know? movies for Netflix. He's making movies for Netflix, and I don't know if Killer of the Flower Moon is—is is that going to be Apple or is that Netflix too? I thought it was Netflix, but I could totally be wrong on that. Yeah, I, I'd have to look it up. But well, I mean, I don't know. That—that's a good. I think that's a good take. That you know, you have Scorsese praising him, and you know, Scorsese's films currently can only really exist in the streaming environment that we live in. So. Maybe that is, you know, Aster's next play. Maybe, you know, it doesn't work out with A24 or maybe they keep betting on him. You know, he's their guy. But if not, it would be cool for him to go to um, go to Netflix or Apple or one of these streamers yeah. that don't care. They just they want to spend the money because they want to have something in their catalog and he can go hard. You know, the Irishman three-hour movie – um, a lot of people said it was slow and boring or whatever, but I thought it was fantastic. And without Netflix, it probably wouldn't have been made. So um, all hell Netflix, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Apple TV, whichever one's making the Flower Moon, because that's going to be a three and a half hour movie too. Yeah. that We, we <laughs> should do a whole, you know, maybe <laughs> next episode on on Flower Moon and kind of what we're expecting with that. Cause I, you know, I was excited. Uh, then I read news and I don't know, but <laughs> that, that would be a good episode. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be down to talk about the movies that we're excited about flower moon. Maybe have it be a, what, what movies that we're most anticipating for 2023. Yeah. Oh, I looked it up flower moon, Apple TV plus, and also Paramount pictures. So there we go. They'll do their little uh, small display around the country in theaters uh, for the awards, and that's it. Yep, that's it. 
Thank you, Tim Cook, or Tim Apple, as Donald Trump calls him. <laughs> Tim Apple, what a guy. Great, great, great guy. All right, great any, guy. Um, any parting words for this episode, yeah, just, Mr. Andrew? Yeah, thanks for uh, for sticking with us and going through the spoilers. And If you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't, hopefully uh, we left you some nuggets to we'll still surprise you. It's a great movie. It's fun to talk about. It's a great movie. I think people will be talking about it at parties and future showings, cult showings, probably, because um, it it was awesome on the big screen. You know, IMAX. I saw it in. You did both. You know, both of our first showings were IMAX, and then second showing was was great too. But definitely need to see it in a the theater. I mean, I definitely will watch it at home. But theater experience is awesome. Um, but yeah, thanks all. Thanks for tuning in. Um, like, comment, share, drop questions, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Send it to your mother, your father, maybe not your brother, whoever. Not your sister. Your not friend. your sister. No siblings. No siblings. We forbid it. <laughs> we need grandparents in on this. <laughs> we're, here, we're here for your grandparents' attention. Mothers in honor of Bo, too. Mothers, <laughs> yeah. For sure. You know, if you hate your mother even more, bring her over. Yeah. Your mother needs to see this movie. <laughs> no one see it with your mother. Oh man! So that's it's very least. awkward, and you feel weird. So and then she can bring up a bunch. She can bring up a bunch of stuff. Yeah, bullshit about things you felt and how you could have been a better son. It'll be a great time. Mother's Day. Hey, hopefully it's still running. Mother's Day. Go see it. Perfect Mother's Day movie. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next time.